Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. Before we get started, um, I, I have a favor to ask you all. Um, I'm going to try something that's a little less conventional uh, than most uh, sermons, uh, but I think it will fit better with kind of uh, my teaching style. So usually when I'm in the classroom teaching, uh, I don't just stand there and talk for uh, a long time. It's more of a discussion kind of dialogue. Um, I ask questions and we kind of go back and forth. So uh, there are some parts of, me- of my message that I'm going to be asking some questions and I would appreciate to have some, uh, some feedback, some answers and things like that. Uh, so don't worry, don't feel anxious. I'm not going to call on you. So if you don't have anything to say, uh, you can just sit there quietly and uh, listen. Typically, if I was in my classroom, I would have a whole uh, cup of tongue depressors with my students' names on them, and I'd pull them out if no one answered and call them out. Uh, so I don't have anything like that uh, this time, but maybe next time. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, so, um, yeah, so just we'll just see how it goes, and then, uh, yeah, we'll try it out. So in a situation uh, or a season of life where uh, you're kind of wondering what God is doing, so you think you're maybe doing all the right things, and making all the right decisions, and uh, things still just aren't working out the way that you, sh- you thought they should, uh, and you kind of begin to question God. You wonder where he's at in the process, if this is really something that he wants you to be doing. Um, for myself, I was in this situation uh, for a few years. Uh, when I was in college, I was, going to, uh, I was learning to become a teacher, and so I was doing all the training and going through all the classes and uh, working at a, at a school while I was uh, finishing up my college. And um, so I graduate and um, look for some jobs, but there wasn't really anything there except for a teacher's assistant job that I took at an alternative middle school. So I worked there for a year. And, um, you know, since I was a certified teacher, I was able to teach some classes and kind of get my feet wet uh, in that direction. And, you know, it was, it was working out really well, and there happened to be a job opening uh, in the district, and so I thought, you know, they all know me. You know, I'll be a shoe-in. I interview, and I don't get the job. And so I go through another summer of looking for jobs and applying, and uh, nothing happens, and so I sub the next school year. And subbing works pretty well. You know, there's there's quite a consistent flow of jobs, and so I'm going to different schools and meeting different teachers and principals and making some connections and doing some networking. And again, a job pops up in the district that I applied last year, and so I figured, hey, this school knows me a little bit better now. You know, I've worked with these people for a while. I should get, I should get the job. Again, no job. So um, the next fall, Subbing isn't quite as good. You know, more educators are uh, uh, graduating, uh, but less jobs are available to fill. And so subbing's not working out. So then I get another job, kind of more of a manual labor job, 
uh, cleaning off roofs and cleaning out gutters and washing windows. And it was a really good job. And I got, I learned some really good skills from that job. Um, but it wasn't what I wanted to be doing. It wasn't where my passion was. I didn't feel like it was what God had called me to do. Uh, so I slowly kind of start to increase my search radius of where I was looking for jobs. Now, I want to stay in Portland. That's where I grew up. That's where I was born. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm looking at, you know, jobs in, you know, a little farther away from Oregon, some in, you know, other states. Uh, still nothing is really, uh, you know, hitting. And so I kind of broaden things out even more. I started looking at Arizona and Montana. Uh, we even applied for a teaching job in the Virgin Islands. Sounded pretty cool, um, but nothing. So I do another year of, uh, of the uh, roof and uh, gutter cleaning. Um, and then my father-in-law, who was a teacher uh, up at Ocosta, saw a little newspaper clipping for a job in Tahola. And I had no idea what Tahola was. Um, and so uh, Amy, my wife, well, we drive up there and we uh, drive around the, the town a little bit before my interview. And I was a little nervous. It was a completely, you know, other world to me. Uh, there were some wild dogs running around and uh, things just seemed a little, uh, quite a bit different from Portland. Um, but, you know, I, I was just, you know, as I was praying and, and looking for jobs, I just said, God, you know, no matter where you want us to go, uh, we'll go. And so I interviewed for the job and they gave me a tour and then they offered me the job. And so Amy and I moved up here. And, uh, and then, you know, six months later, we, find, we meet Nathan, uh, who was a pastor at Kaleo at the time. And then uh, we've been here, you know, that was in 2013. Uh, so, yeah, it's been about nine years since um, we've been here. So all that to say, you know, I have these plans of wanting to teach in Portland, you know, and, and do all these things. Um, but God had, had other plans. And, and there was definitely some suffering and some uh, trials and some questioning that went through that. Um, uh, but it was really encouraging in the end just to see how God, you know, really worked things out and, uh, and just to see his hand at work in that process. Uh, so that's kind of a, an introduction to kind of get us into uh, our passage today. So we're going to be in Ephesians uh, chapter 3, and we're going to be uh, in verses 1 through 13. So if you would please stand for the reading of God's word, if you are able to. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace and was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring 
and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed these truths to us. God, I pray that as, uh, as I preach, Lord, that you would speak through me. God, that you would give me the words by the power of your Holy Spirit to preach the words that you want me to preach, God. We thank you for this time you've given us. We dedicate it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think it's good to kind of be reminded of where Paul is at and why he's there. If you remember, Paul is in prison in Rome, and he's there because he was preaching the gospel uh, to Gentiles in Jerusalem, and the Jews didn't like that. And so they started this huge riot. Paul gets arrested. He appeals to the higher authorities, and then he gets shipped out to Rome. And so Paul starts off uh, this passage, um, and he calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles. So Paul understands that God is sovereignly working out all things, even though he's in prison. He knows that God has him there for a purpose, and his only desire is to do the will of God, no matter what that means. So although in the world's eyes, God is a prisoner of Rome, in the eyes of Paul, he's a prisoner of Christ because he understands that Jesus is Lord over all things and over his life and even over Caesar and what he decrees, whether Caesar acknowledges that or not. And it's this point that's very important, and I want us to keep that in the back of our minds, and we'll uh, talk about that later on. So as we're going through the passage, I've broken it up into four different sections. Uh, I have it broken up into, number one, the people of God's mystery, the, per- the promise of God's mystery, the plan of God's mystery, and the purpose of God's mystery. So we have the people of God's mystery, the promise of God's mystery, the plan of God's mystery, and the purpose of God's mystery. So in verses 3 through 5, we see the people of God's mystery. The mystery was made known to Paul by revelation. And as you remember in the book of Acts, Paul has this encounter with Jesus. He's on the road to Damascus, and Jesus confronts him. And Paul, there's there's a few different uh, times in Acts where Paul uh, describes, or this event is described, and uh, I'm going to specifically look at Acts 26 when Paul is speaking to King Agrippa about this uh, event that occurred. And so, um, 
Paul says, I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests. So the chief priests had given Paul a commission to go and arrest Christians. And so he says, at midday, O king, I saw on the way the light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when, he had, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. And for those of you who don't know what a goad is, I didn't know what it was either. It's a, it's a stick that has a pointy end that you use to kind of steer uh, cattle. It's kind of like a cattle prod. So that's what a goat is. Um, so Paul continues. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to, the, to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So it's interesting here to note the high view that Jesus has of the church. When Paul has his come to Jesus moment, Jesus asks Paul, not why are you persecuting my church, he says, why are you persecuting me? You cannot love Jesus and hate the church. There is no option to love Jesus and not love his church. Now, there's, we're not equating or Jesus and the church aren't synonymous, right? Jesus is head over the church, but Jesus has a very high view of the church, and we should as well. Paul also writes, Readers will perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. The Christians who read this letters and others like it will be given insight into the mystery that was revealed to Paul. And this is amazing about how God chooses to spread his messages. Back then, there were limitations on how fast or how far the word of God could spread. People either had to write things down and copy what had been written already if they were able to read and write, or they had to hear someone read it, and they had to write it down as they were listening. It's kind of a slow process. So why do you think God chose this specific time in history for Paul to preach the Gentiles? What was unique about this time in history? What do you guys think? Yeah. Yeah, so Koine Greek was a very common language, and so that's why the New Testament was written in Koine Greek so that a lot of people could hear it or read it if they're able to read. Yeah, so that's, that's a great point. Yeah. Why else do you guys think? How was Paul able to move around so somewhat easily? I mean, he's still, he's still to walk, so it was kind of, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and who built the roads? The Romans, right? The Romans built the roads that Paul used to spread the gospel, right? So he used Roman roads, roads built by pagans to be able to the gospel. And he also used Roman ships to be able to travel across the sea, right? And even when Paul was arrested, right, and when he was stirring up all these riots, who rescued him from the Jews? They're going to kill him, right? Who rescued him? We talked about this when we went through Acts. Yeah, Benji? Well, God rescued him, yes. But how, good, good answer, right? But how did, God, how did God use, or who did God use to save Paul from the rioters? Roman soldiers, 
right? So all through um, Paul's you know, ministry, God is using other people, essentially Romans, to promote or to um, spread the gospel. Um, going a little further down history, um, there was a very significant uh, invention that came about in the 15th century, uh, specifically around 1450, uh, to increase the spread of the gospel. Who knows what that might be? The printing press. Very good. That's right. So, um, the printing press was invented by a Christian named Johannes Gutenberg. It was called the Gutenberg Press, right? <clears throat> and what do you guys think was the first book? It's kind of a condensed version, but what was the first book printed? The Bible. That's exactly right, okay? And then a few decades down our timeline, um, what was the significant uh, event in church history that happened kind of right on the heels of the printing press. The Reformation. Exactly right. The Reformation would not have been able to spread as quickly and as broadly as it would have been able to without the invention of the printing press that happened before that. So again, we can see God's sovereignty working and in inventing things and then the gospel spreading. And then as we move even further down through history, uh, there's another um, pretty incredible invention in the 1980s. Who knows what that is? The internet. Dave, you're good, man. Well done. Yeah, the internet was, was invented, right? And so now we can communicate with people across the world. We can interact really quickly back and forth, and we can spread the gospel. You know, now we have, you know, videos of pastors from all over the world that we can listen to and learn from. You know, we can subscribe to a whole bunch of different people and hear from all kinds of, of people. And we also have access to materials and documents from way in the past that we would have never had access to before without the Internet. And so, again, we see God using people, um, not necessarily even Christians, to continue to spread the gospel. And while some of these systems have been corrupted and people do use them uh, in sinful ways, that doesn't take away from what God is, is doing. And so we see that um, the, the, the timing and intentionality of God, we see that God doesn't do things just kind of arbitrarily or haphazardly. So back to our passage. In verse 5, Paul says that the mystery was hidden from other generations. And we might ask, why would God hide this mystery from other generations? And while we can't, don't really know always the intent and motives of God, we know that he only does what is consistent with his character. And so what, what were these generations that were hidden from, that the message or the mystery was hidden from? Who, what were those generations? Yeah, the Jews, right? Yeah, the people of the Old Testament, right? Before Jesus came to earth, right? The way that God's people interacted with God was very different, right? The Jews were required to keep the law. And they had the uh, sacrificial system to atone for their sins when they weren't able to keep the law. And so there was this process of breaking the law and then sacrificing an animal and then being, and their sins being atoned for and then trying to keep the law and then breaking the law again and then having a sacrifice. And it was just this ongoing process. 
And as we know, there was no one who could keep the law of God perfectly. And with our, you know, hindsight, our perspective, we know that the law was a tutor, was a teacher to show that no one could keep the law because God has a very high standard. The holiness of God is so holy that there's no one who can keep that standard perfectly. And then we also see from the law how sinful we are, that there's no way that we can keep the law no matter how hard we try. And so we are in need of the grace and mercy of God. And we know the sacrificial system was a type or a shadow to reveal to us that we need another sacrifice, namely Jesus, right? The lamb who takes away the sins of the world. So God chose to hide these things from the previous generations until he determined the time that it was to reveal them. God is the one who knows the beginning from the end. He is outside of time and space. He is the one who determines how his plans will be revealed. But this mystery was revealed to apostles and prophets by the Spirit. <clears throat> and so we see in the Old Testament, there are some hints, or, or I mean, they might call them hints. They seem pretty obvious to us, right? Um, but back in uh, Isaiah chapter 19, it says, In that day Israel will be a third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. So here we see Egypt and Assyria lumped together with Israel. In Zechariah chapter 14, it says, And it shall come to pass that every one that is left, all of the nations which came against Jerusalem, shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feasts of the tabernacle. So the nations that were warring against Jerusalem are now going to worship God. And then Hosea chapter 2 says, and in that day I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land. And here's the key. And I will have mercy on no mercy. I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. So those nations that once rejected God are now acknowledging that, that he is their God. And then we have some more uh, examples of the apostles preaching to the Gentiles, right? Obviously, Paul, you know, um, preached to the Gentiles. Uh, but we have Peter when he goes to uh, Cornelius, right, who was a Roman centurion. Right? He has this vision of unclean things coming down on the sheet. And, of course, because it's Peter, God has to do it a few times to get the message across to him because it kind of takes him a while to, to get the process Okay, but at that same time, um, Cornelius uh, is visited by an angel and is told to go get Peter and bring him to, that, to your house. And so Cornelius sends a, uh, a few servants to go get Peter. Of course, Peter kind of takes a day or so, and then finally he comes. And at first, he's a little apprehensive, right, because he's a Jew. Roman centurion's a Gentile. He doesn't really feel comfortable being in there. 
but he, he, starts, he starts preaching, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes down, right? And, and Cornelius and his family are saved, and Paul's kind of freaked out, or Peter's kind of freaked out. So he goes back to his friends and says, guys, guys, this is what I did. And they're like, whoa, whoa, you went to a centurion's house? You went to a Gentile's house? We're not, we're not doing that yet. What are you doing? You know? And so he tells them the story, right? And then their response is pretty incredible. Um, so Peter retold the story to them, and their response was they praised God and said, then God has given life also to the people who are not Jews. They have, his, they have this new life by being sorry for their sins and turning from them. So now these, these Jewish uh, Christians are realizing that, hey, God's kind of you know, broadening the, uh, the boundaries a little bit of, of, of who can be part of God's people. And then we have another example of Philip who preaches to the Ethiopian eunuch. Right? Philip is being led by the Spirit. He's told to go over to this chariot. He walks over there, and there's this eunuch reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And so the, the, the eunuch has these questions about what he's reading, who this is about. And so Philip preaches the gospel to him. And then the eunuch wants to be baptized. And so he baptizes the eunuch. And so again, we see God bringing these outsiders kind of into his family. And so these are the people that God chose to reveal his mystery to. Christ is both the source and the substance of this revelation. All these things are through Christ. And this mystery has been revealed to us as well. If your eyes have been opened to the truth of who God is and what Christ has done for you, you are part of this revelation. So my question to you is, what are you doing with it? And this is a rhetorical question, so just kind of think about it. Are you sharing this revelation with others or are you keeping it to yourself? I would invite you to think about this as we continue to go through uh, this passage. So next we'll see uh, the promise of God's mystery. So in verse 6, the mystery that is uh, the mystery is that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise. So, fellow heirs. Uh, in Romans 4:13. It says, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So, right, Abraham is the father of, um, of the promise or the, the recipient of the promise from, from God. And Romans 5.17, it says, for if because of one man's trespass, Adam, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So here we see death through Adam and life through Jesus. The promise made to Abraham was that through him, God would give him a ton of people, a land, and the nation would be blessed through him. And for Israel, this meant the promised land, right? And peace from their enemies. That was their hope. That was what they were going for. And for the church, it means that all that is Jesus's is ours. In 1 Corinthians 3, it says, So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas 
or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours because you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Right? Our inheritance goes far above just land, right? The promised land. It covers the entirety of God's creation. That is our inheritance that we get to enjoy with the people of Israel who have also believed in Jesus. So we have these two groups that are becoming one through Jesus. We're also members of the same body. This is most plainly laid out in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul writes, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. And then jumping down to verse 18, it says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. It was all through God. It was all ordained by God. For all for all were a single, if all were a single member, where would the body be? So if the whole body was consisted of one member, there wouldn't be a body, it would just be that one member. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So just as the church is um, consisted of many, many parts, we are one body in Jesus. And lastly, we are partakers of the promise. So what does it mean to be partakers of the promise? Uh, to partake just means to join in. Literally, the word in Greek that Paul kind of made up is co-sharers. Um, so what are some of the promises of God that we get to experience that we are joined in together? What are some of the promises of God? What do you guys think? Salvation, yeah, it's great. What was that? Adoption, right. What are some promises that we get to enjoy now, at least even maybe a little bit from God? The Spirit, right, the Holy Spirit, right. So God promises to strengthen us, right? He promises to give us rest. Promises to take care of our needs, answer our prayers. He promises to work everything out for our good for those who love Him. He promises to be with us, right? To never leave us or forsake us. He promises to protect us and give us freedom from sin. And obviously, this is not an exhaustive list. We can continue on and on, right? And come up with a lot more. But my question for you is, how are these promises affecting your life? How are you being encouraged in your daily battles with these promises? Are you remembering and meditating on them daily? Next, in verses 7 through 9, we have the plan of God's mystery. It says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. 
To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul was made a minister, and God has given all of us gifts by the grace of his power. Not all of us are called to stand up here on a Sunday and preach, but we're all told to be able to give a reason for the hope that is in us. We're called to be a light in the darkness. We're called to make disciples. We're called to use the gifts and resources that God has given us to bless others and to glorify him. We're called to expose sin and to bring it out into the light so that repentance and reconciliation can take place and souls can be rescued from the by the power of the Holy Spirit from the dominion of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of Jesus. And God, as the creator of all things, is sovereign over his creation and he will see his plans through to the end. So, my question for you is, are you relying on the Holy Spirit to work in you? Are you submitting to the will of God and allowing him to work through you to accomplish his will and plan for your life and the lives of those around you? Right? God just doesn't want to change us. He wants to change others through us. He uses us. How is the plan of God being accomplished through you? In verses 10 through 12, we have the purpose of God's mystery. And verse 10 is kind of the main thrust or the climax of this passage. Everything has kind of been building up to this verse. Verse 10 says, So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This word manifold means many colored, and it was used to kind of describe flowers or crowns or embroidered cloth or woven carpets, maybe like a tapestry. You can also maybe think about like a diamond and how light kind of goes through a diamond and it reflects off and then you see all these colors that kind of shine through it, right? It's a multifaceted, many-colored wisdom of God that is made known through his church. Again, we see the church, Jews, Gentiles coming together as one, the church. God uses the church to display his wisdom. This is the wisdom of God. He's reconciling all mankind to himself. He's uniting two groups that are so different and so opposed to each other and uniting them to himself. And it's only through the miraculous work of God that this can be accomplished. And we are called as his church to make known the wisdom of God. So how do we make the wisdom of God known? What do we do? 
What do we have to do? Follow his commands. How do we know what his commands are? Study the word, right? We got to know the word before we can preach it to others, right? So we got to get into our Bibles. We got to know the word. What else do we need to do? Be transformed. That's right. New creation. So we know the word. We've been transformed. Then what do we do? Pray and ask for boldness and courage to go out, right, and preach. We got to say something, right? If we don't say anything, we're just keeping those truths to ourselves, right? And that's good, and it works, and we, we like it, okay? But we got to go out and we got to preach, right? And not again like this, right? You can just go out and have a conversation with somebody, okay? And we could even... You know, start in our families, right? If you have young kids, you teach your children, right? But we expose the darkness of foolish thinking. In Ecclesiastes 2, it says, The wise can see where they are going, but fools walk in darkness. So we need to expose that darkness to the light, right? And bring those people from darkness into light. And this is all according to the eternal purpose realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It was always the plan of God to unite the Jews and the Gentiles. All throughout the Old Testament, it was hinted at. Before the foundation of the world, God had this plan in mind. And it wasn't until Jesus came that this plan was even possible. It took God to come down in the form of man, Jesus, to come and dwell with us, to live a sinless life and perfectly obey the will of his Father, to sacrifice his own life for the sake of his creation, even his enemies, to die a painful and brutal death on the cross and shed his blood for our sins. And his sacrifice was final. There's no more need for blood sacrifice. Jesus paid all of our debt completely. So now we can be reconciled to God and not receive the justice we deserve. We all, we all deserve death because we have sinned against God. But through Jesus, we can be justified and not receive what we deserve but we receive grace and mercy. And now we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. We can approach the throne of God with confidence, not because of what we have done, but what Jesus has done for us, for us and we have faith in what he's done. Jesus did everything for us to be justified before God. There's nothing that we can add to the work of Jesus. All that is required of us is that we put our faith and our trust in Jesus and the work that he accomplished on our behalf. So as we close this message, how do we respond to this? What encouragement can we receive from this? In the last remaining moments, I'd like to go through some encouragements. 
as people who have had the mystery of God revealed to you, I encourage you to know and to live out the plan that God has for you. To rest in his promises and to go boldly with the knowledge that God has a purpose for you as his church to make known his wisdom to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. <clears throat> I'm pretty confident with all of you that we can all acknowledge that our battle on this earth is not primarily against flesh and blood. We're not ultimately at war with the progressives or the LGBTQXYZ movement. There's a spiritual battle going on that we might not always see, but we are sure experiencing it's working out in our world. So as we think through our lives and take stock of the gifts that God has given us, as we think about the experiences that we've gone through, and we think about the people that God has put around us, we need to, on one hand, be actively resisting those physical aspects of sin that is right before us. But we also need to understand the spiritual aspect that we cannot ignore or overlook. I'd like to take a moment to address some specific groups of people in the church and encourage you. First off, mothers. You have one of the most important jobs in the church. You not only have the God-given gift of bearing children, but you also have been given the task to raise up your children in your home. You have the charge of teaching them and training them and nurturing them in a way that fathers cannot do. Take hold of the promises of God while you go through your daily grind. Whether you're washing the same dish for the fifth time that day, whether you're changing another nasty, smelly diaper, or whether you're cooking a meal and also trying to sort out a dispute between a two-year-old and a five-year-old over who gets to play with the cardboard box. Be encouraged about what you are doing, that you are doing the work that God has called you to do. Remember that he is with you, that you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. You don't have to have everything together. Fathers, you have been given the charge to lead your family to set an example for your sons of how to be a man of God. To set an example for your daughters of what a godly husband looks like. To point your children to the Heavenly Father as the only perfect father. Admit when you're wrong. Ask your children for forgiveness. And train them up in the Lord. Children, what does God command you to do? This is where your kids can participate. What does God command you to do, children? Amen, brother. Amen. Well done. That's great. And why do we obey God? Why do we obey? That's right. Because we love. We obey because we love God and we love our parents. 
Children, you are growing up in a very interesting time. A lot of things are going to change in your lifetimes. But one thing will never change. And that is the truth of God. Learn it. Memorize it. And know God's truth. You will encounter so much deceit and lies from the world. But if you have the word of God and you know God's truth, you will never be deceived by the world. Single people, you've been given a gift of time and freedom. You don't have the constraints of a family. And while you may desire a family one day, I would encourage you to rest in this season that God has you in. Use your resources to bless and encourage others. Study and learn from God's word. Serve others with the time and freedom you have. And rest and abide in Christ and strengthen your relationship with him. Retired people, you too have the gift of time and freedom. And you also have a wealth of wisdom and life experience to pass on to others. I would encourage you to find somebody to disciple if you're not doing that already. Who has God put in your life that he wants you to invest in? Paul ends this passage by saying, So I ask you not to lose hearts over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul suffered so others would experience the glories of God. We can be encouraged by others who have suffered for the sake of the gospel. While Paul was in prison, God's purpose and plan were not being undone. They were unfolding. God can use suffering to bring growth to the church, and he often does. We've seen many examples through church history about God's people going through suffering and persecution and the church growing as a result of that. So we should not lose heart at what might seem like setbacks, but we should be encouraged to continue to fight and conquer by our Christ-like obedience and sacrifice. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this mystery that you have revealed to us. God, we thank you that you have brought us into your family, though we were so far away from you. By your spirit, Lord, you brought us new. You brought us near through your, through your spirit. Jesus, we thank you that you have given us access to God. Help us as your church to have boldness and confidence. Help us to be reminded of your promises. Help us to encourage one another as we go about our day and our week. Help us to remember to abide in you, to be in your word, to be in prayer with you. Help us to remember the truth and to speak it. 
Help us to be sensitive to your spirit. And may your church continue to grow. In Jesus' name, amen.